Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. There are moments in our lives when we meet someone and we feel as if we have known them all our lives. That is how I felt the first time I met Bridget, though other people call her Bridget Zobanuku. Bridget, as we commonly call her, is the founder and executive director of Mentoring Women Ghana, amongst other roles that she has. A former Miss Ghana, a mother of one precious son, and Ghanaian presidential candidate for the Progressive People's Party in 2020. You can undermine her at your own peril, but ignoring her, it's impossible. Bridge is my guest today for this new episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi. Bridge, thank you so much for making the time to have a conversation with me today. Nice talking to you. We met as adults. I mean, I was so privileged to at least visit your home in 2017. But I don't know much about your upbringing. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your most treasured um, memories of childhood? Do you have siblings? Yes, I'm the fifth of five. So I'm the last. <laughs> I have three yeah. brothers and a sister. Uh, my sister is the eldest. The boys come in between and I'm the last. So I'm a bit of a tomboy because they were the other ones I played with. Yeah. Uh, we grew up as army brats. So my dad was in the army, I'd say, all oh, my childhood and probably retired when I was uh, about 19. So my entire upbringing and my entire childhood was in the barracks. And uh, you know how it is in the barracks, very disciplined life, uh, regimented, but fun because there are other children growing up under the same circumstances. You go to the same uh, schools, uh, of course, army schools. Uh, that does that didn't mean that we were uh, trained or, or taught uh, army style, but there was a lot of discipline in the schools as well. And yet, and yet, I have a lot of classmates from my childhood because um, I went to various army schools, different schools, because each time my father would be posted to another yeah. bar another post I, I changed schools and all of us just milled around like that you'd move from post to post so you you may lose some friends in one bar or one barracks or one station and then you move to another in another region of Ghana and then you go, hey voila we are back together again and we are neighbors and all that so I had a very um interesting fun upbringing uh, probably up until the revolution uh, Ghana's revolution in 1979 when uh, there was a lot of indiscipline and uh, um, insubordination or if you like the what we would call the other ranks or the lower rank of uh, soldiers were made to rise up against the um, officers, the commissioned officers and my father was a commissioned officer. Interestingly my father rose from an other rank and went into uh, the, the academy and became an officer and retired a, a, a general. So it was uh, almost 
um, surprising and we very confounding to realize what was going on with the Ghana army at the time. But that is the kind of upbringing I had. I did my high school, so I did all my basic uh, education in Miami Barracks, and I went to high school in a school called Wesley Girls High School, very renowned. It's in Cape Coast, uh, so in the central region of Ghana. And in those days, we did seven years of, uh, of high school. So uh, you do five wow. years, one to five, and then you do uh, two more years in sixth form, and you wrote your GCE. O levels after form five and with a GCA levels after the two years of sixth form. So that is what I did. And then I went to the University of Ghana. So basically that was my upbringing, very yeah. uh, vibrant. Now, when you start talking about this tomboyish childhood and then in 1991, you are Miss Ghana. Now, what motivated you to enter the beauty pageant? Yes. So, yes, I was very tomboyish and I was very athletic. And uh, um, I was also that very skinny child um, and only just got taken by surprise with all the weight I've gained. But <laughs> I used to be very slim. Yeah. Well, you, you still not, you still quite fit, eh? <laughs> well, I try. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how much work we have to do now. But um, when I was in, when I just finished sixth form and uh, just about to enter university, the Miss Ghana at the time, who my brother was dating, actually uh, <laughs> said to me that uh, I used to admire her a lot. She was beautiful. She carried herself well, you know. And then she said to me that you could also be Miss Ghana. And I thought, what? Are you joking? I mean, look at me. I'm not even pretty. And I mean, there was very little self-esteem at the time. And, and very low self-confidence. So when she said that, a few other people said it to Miss Ghana had just been reintroduced after a long lull. And uh, so it had started in 1986 and there was a pageant every year. So when she said it, I said, well, uh, you know, and then she, and I, I, I must say that was a form of mentoring from yeah. the get-go. So for the next Miss Ghana, for 1990, she came and took me in her Miss Ghana car, you know, and took me to the, the next regional pageant, which was in Accra. And then she said, and when it was time for contestants to go on stage, she said, get up and go. You can do it. And I was like, there was no way I was going to go. Besides, on hindsight, the person who won Miss Ghana that year was on that stage that evening. So I wasn't going to go and not, and not win. You know, I looked at that lady and I was like, there's no way she's, I, I, I can beat her. So I, I didn't go. She, she must have been very disappointed because she just kept saying, get up and go. And I was like, no way. And then that was a regional pageant. So you didn't have to, do, it was just ladies in the crowd, come along, you know, try So I didn't go that year until I entered university. And then when I entered university, Someone else who used to work with a sponsoring company said, why don't you enter Miss Ghana? Why don't you contest? And there was a car. And I told you how I admired this lady's car. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I jumped, I, I, all I wanted, so to answer your question about how come I, I, I uh, contested for Miss Ghana and won, um, I, I saw a car that I liked and I thought, 
I could use that car. That's what. <laughs> Even then, <laughs> you knew exactly what you wanted. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it was just about the car, and 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 I must say, I was again taken by surprise because after I won my car and I walked away, they were like, "Hold it right there. You're not done yet." You have to be here and you have to be there and you have to dress up and you have to be glamorous. That was the hard part because I didn't see myself as a glamorous person at the time, you know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned that um, the girlfriend was actually like a mentor. The girlfriend of your brother was like a mentor. And now you are the founder and the executive director of the nonprofit Mentoring Women Ghana. You are very passionate about mentoring. Why is that? And what does Mentoring Women Ghana do? So Mentoring Women Ghana was founded after I participated in the Fortune Global Women's Mentoring Partnership, which is a, um, a state, U.S. State Department uh, and Fortune uh, program uh, which selects women from various countries and uh, takes them to the U.S. to be mentored by women in fortune companies. So I participated, I was selected and participated in that in 2008. And when I came back, I had the idea that this was a very good program which had an impact on me. And indeed, I started to realize how much informally mentoring had impacted my life, like Ms. Ghana like my big sister who, when she was in university, I'd go and spend time with on campus and just see what campus life was like. And therefore, by the time I was going, I I knew what I wanted and I knew how the life was uh, on campus. I I knew for sure that I wanted to pursue higher education. So in coming back, I started a a mentoring group of girls through sports. I used to run a recreational center that had a basketball court. So I'd bring the girls on Sundays to learn to play basketball. And then through that, we'd have a chat about school, would give them magazines to read and say what they like, just very informally, but it, it seemed to be working. And then I had the opportunity, or a group of us, when we were on the Fortune program, met this lady called Geraldine Laban. And Geraldine Laban uh, talked to us about how she used to walk with girls who needed advice from her. So we started, it was our group 2008, led by a lady called Lucy who came from Nigeria, who said, let's also do our mentoring work in our various countries. So we made a, an event of it and that has become the global yeah. mentoring work yeah. uh, we hold annually. So I was the flag bearer for uh, Ghana for the global mentoring work in 2009. However, I realized that just that one-off walk as an event and then we're done was not good enough. So year by year, I grew it into something similar to what we had experienced with Fortune, which is the 10-day event. We've we've scaled it down again to about three, four days, uh, but it makes the experience for the young girls even more deepening and enriching. And we've gone on to do other uh, mentoring programs, one along the lines of what I experienced with my sister of spending a weekend or a week on the university campus, experiencing lectures, being held with a choice of subjects, 
visiting the gender center to talk about gender in the university and things like that. So I know uh, what mentoring has, what impact mentoring has had on me and mm. therefore I am passionate about it. You actually see the difference it makes in the lives of, of, of the young ladies. I still have a, 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 I have a South African mentor, uh, Wendy Luhabi, um, and she's in touch with me and is always sending uh, things of encouragement and all that. She's, she's an amazing mentor. Yeah. No, we were very fortunate to uh, attend that Fortune program. We went in 2010. Um, yeah, uh, so it was great. Uh, what do you think is your unique value proposition? Uh, if you are not here tomorrow, what will we miss most about you? I think you'll miss my connectivity, my, my ability to connect people. And I think, I think that that is my purpose, actually. I've come to think of it and everything I've done, I've connected people, whether formally or informally. Uh, when I was running the Aviation Social Center, the Recreational Center, it brought people together, whether they came for their fitness or they came for their parties or their events, weddings. So I'm, I'm, an, I'm a tool in there to, around, which, around whom people connect. Um, I've gotten two couples married. Yeah, wow. People, okay, we need uh, to talk. <laughs> you won't listen to me. That's the thing. You, you're, too, you're too stubborn. <laughs> um, so I'm a connector of people. Um, and I think that that is what will be missed. And even through my mentoring, I find that, hey, I'm actually doing uh, what my purpose is here on earth, to connect mentors and mentees, form a relationship, learn from each other. I recently, well, not so recent, but since 2015, I've been producing palm oil. Oh, no, I've been, I have a brand of palm oil produced by women in the Volta region of Ghana. And had it not been me, their products would not be in the city in Accra and now being exported. So then again, through food, I'm connecting people. Yeah. With some women doing their little business in the uh, Volta region to as far as New Jersey, Virginia, uh, and other Dubai and other places. So I think that that is what I, I might be missed for. That connector yeah. of people. I must say, just spending a few days with you in Accra, <laughs> any place we went to, we were treated like royalty. So, I mean, it's like everybody in Ghana knows you. But at the same time, you were the Progressive People's Party candidate for the president of Ghana uh, in December 2020. Out of about 17 million valid voters in Ghana in 2020, 8.8 .8 million are females you received only 0.05% of their votes, of votes in Ghana in general. Why do you believe women did not support your candidacy? Well, already we, we uh, our politics and our governance and our, uh, yeah, our politics has, has become a bit of a duopoly. So there are two major parties that are each other's necks and fighting for the votes. And each time, uh, People can't think beyond this dual policy, either the NPP or the NBC. So for us, we are called the minor parties. We're already struggling to get in there. 
And then when we get in there, there were 12 parties on the ballot. Wow. So you take these two hours, the 10 of us then have to fight for that little percentage that is left because I think it's just difficult since we went for democratic uh, governance uh, since 1992. It's almost as if, if it's not this party, the NDC, then it's the NPP, and then there the twain shall meet, and nobody else in between gets anything or gets much or gets aired. So there is that dynamic uh, already. Of course, there's a dynamic of gender. Why aren't women voting for uh, a woman? Um, we are in a very patriarchal society here. Um, we still need to get used to women in leadership. And it's crawling in gradually. I mean, recently, the vice uh, chancellor of our premier university, the university I went to, was, uh, um, uh, was the word we use for, for inauguration, not inaugurated, but... Um, what, appointed? Yeah. It was appointed. Well, appointed, and there was a ceremony. Yeah, yeah. And she was a she's a woman, and of the other. Well done, Ghana. Well done, Ghana, for that. Yeah. To add to that, not just that she she's a woman, but all the women in the, the registrar is a woman now. The chancellor is a woman, and the head of the uh, university council is a woman as well. And these are all dynamic women who have worked hard, um, and and end the position. And people are starting to notice that women can make a difference. We've yeah. had women chief justices twice, back to back. We've had a woman speaker before. Um, I think that what we need to do as women is to let Ghanaians know that we are worth something. We are capable of leadership and not just leadership for, for, for the optics, but to make a difference actually in, in the governance of the country. Uh, we have a long way to go. We have what 14% in parliament. And I, 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 I feel they are not vocal enough. We are still trying to push an affirmative action bill. We are still trying to push a spousal rights bill. And sometimes I think we women in Ghana don't, don't believe we deserve uh, leadership. But I, I don't even know if it's about deserving leadership as much as wanting to change the way things are done uh, in this country. And it's going to take us time, but we will get there. I mean, we need to keep speaking. Frankly, I will say that I didn't think I was going to become president of Ghana in 2020, but I did expect to do better than uh, the percentage we got. And I expected to be heard. Uh, and I expected to be uh, um, change the thinking in, in, yeah. in some people's minds, mm -hmm. and I I think that I did that. Um, we we there's a lot to do, especially because of this um, uh, duopoly. But um, there is hope. I, I haven't given up. Yeah, no, I know you're gonna be back there. Uh, you're very determined. You you have a son. What lessons are you teaching him about being a man in this 21st century? Well, first of all, to be honest, <laughs> all the time, on pain of death, uh, walk into your fear, and to allow himself to be vulnerable. People don't like the sound of that. It seems to think, oh, you're going to bring up a sissy. But no, 
uh, I'm teaching him one thing, to be in touch with your feelings and to be able to express it. Mm. Uh, I think that for a lot of people, and even in Ghana, you know, we have an adage that says, bear men, so, uh, men don't cry. But it's okay to, to, to it, it takes a lot of strength to be vulnerable. And I think from that place of vulnerability, you are, you are able to live your truth and you are able to um, uh, live life in truth. Um, and that is what I, I, I want to teach. I like to teach him because yeah. from a place of vulnerability lies. Yeah. Um, I, I hope to meet him one day. We didn't meet him when we were there. You're going to be looking high up at him. He's, he's yeah. taller than I Well, you tall. I, I mean, already I do that. So <laughs> I'm used to it now. <laughs> <laughs> Women are underrepresented in, uh, in, in politics. You already mentioned, I think, around 14%. Um, you share a social media post in which a man said, Madam, you are very beautiful, but you are not presidential. It is not a beauty contest. What is the one thing that you believe societies are missing out by excluding women from decision-making in politics? Everything. They're missing out on everything. Look. Our economy is driven by women. We are very reliant on agri. Two thirds of the people in agri are women. Our marketplaces and our open marketplaces, I don't know if I went to you there. Yeah. That turn over, you know, a lot of money and feed our Bank of Ghana is predominantly women. Today, most homes, women are the breadwinners in the homes. But because of our traditional practices where, oh, you've got to make the man look like the leader of the house, the head of the house. We are, even we women are um, putting away our worth, you know, uh, just to be politically uh, correct. Yeah. But indeed, we are worth so much more you know, you, you, they say to us that, oh, if a woman uh, makes money, then she starts to disrespect men. I mean, how is that? You know, um, I think it was from one of the Vital Voices programs that I know. I read it online where a woman called Shirley Chisholm, I think, uh, who as far back as in the 40s or so, uh, an African-American woman was... Um, a senator, and actually run for president of the United States. And Shirley Chisholm said, if they don't have a chair for you at the table, bring your own folding chair. And I, I keep repeating that because I believe that the, the men in this country are not going to make that space for us. We've got to bring our own folding chair and just sit there and I, someone said, well, they'll throw you out. I said, by the time they throw you out and you're holding that chair and getting out, you've, you've said something and they've heard you. So we need to make that space for ourselves and go and sit at that table. Maybe what we need to do is to start from the local government level. Mm -hmm. Because um, our president just recently appointed, and you know, we don't vote for our local um, um uh, government, governments, yeah. uh, local governors, and uh, we call them the 
metropolitan uh, districts and district uh, chief executives. And these are positions that can be held by women and can and they will do a good job at it. But the, for now, Ghana doesn't vote for that. We don't vote for that. The president appoints them. And he has appointed all men. I mean, there are very few women that were appointed, very few. Um, I think it wasn't even up to 30%, if I, if I recall. And therefore, um, we, that, even at that level, power is being taken out of our hands. Yeah. But I think that even if we are not being appointed, we must go out and say, hey, look, take them to task. Take them. I am going to take my DCA to task. And <laughs> fortunately, I know him well. So I'm going to go to him and say, hey, we need things done differently in this district, you know. And that is where I'm going, I'm going to make my voice heard. So whilst they are not appointing us, let's still put our foot in the door. Let's still take our folding chairs and tables. We can. Yeah. We will be heard. And I know you will be heard eventually. Yeah, you're very persistent and passionate about this. What is your Achilles heel? And how do you prevent it from adversely impacting other aspects of your life that make you successful? I'm a very impatient person. And when I get impatient, I get fearful. Um, so I always must take a, a step back and ask myself, am I being a bit impatient? Because I am expecting results very quickly. Mm. And sometimes um, you need to take your time and learn the lessons before you get the results. And I'm not... Uh, prepared to, 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 to take that time. I'm grateful for the lessons, but I'm not prepared to take that time. So my impatience sometimes gets to me and it gets to me personally more than it gets to other people, or maybe it does get to other people, but they don't tell me. But I must always hold myself in check to say, am I being impatient? Am I expecting too much uh, quickly? And yeah then, you know, uh, have the same, then think about how it's affecting the people around me. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, what legacy are you looking, looking to leave behind in this world? What are you striving to do? Well, I think I spoke about my purpose initially uh, to be able to connect people in good ways um, so that, is beneficial to my community and the people around me. So um, I would want to leave behind when I'm gone for people to say, through Bridget, this is the connection we got and which was beneficial to us. I am looking forward to the day that the women in my district, in my hometown will say through Bridget, our products is a world market product sitting in maybe a, a spa in South Africa, if you like, or yeah. ShopRite. Yeah. Yes, that is what I'm looking forward to doing. It will happen. And not just that palm oil, but many other products. Products, yeah. Um, do you still have things on your bucket list that you still want to accomplish? Well, yes. I mean, I believe in growth. You can't say I'm done. Uh, we are in a process of growth. There's nothing like perfection. 
And each time you get to that point, you've got to ask yourself, what is my next step? And therefore, yes, there's a lot I want to do. Um, I want to set up a school for domestic work in Ghana. Mm. Domestic work in Ghana is very informal uh, and there's a lot of abuse. And a lot of our young girls are ending up in the Emirates and getting killed, getting abused, um, not being paid for the work. And uh, in some cases, they are trafficked for, for sexual work. So I am very, very passionate about setting up uh, an institute to train and formalize and dignify domestic work uh, in Ghana. And I'm, on, I'm in the process of doing that. When I'm done with that, I'll say, uh, yes, I'm happy. <laughs> then again, okay. it's connecting people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Domestic yes. workers with, yes. And it's a form of mentoring as well. Yeah, yeah. I think they deserve that. I think they'll be grateful for you as, the, as their guardian angel. We can chat forever. I'm looking forward to the next visit. Um, but in wrapping up our conversation, is there any wisdom you want to leave our audience with that you want them to think about? Yes. Um, I think I started saying it about my purpose and the things I want to do. We are all in the process of growth. We're growing. The day you stop growing is the day you start dying in every area of your life. Anything you stop growing in, you start dying in. And therefore, whilst we are all in a process of growth, there is nothing like perfection. We are not perfected. We, are, we, we have our weaknesses. We have our strengths, of course, but let us pick up on the areas that we still need to continue to grow and grow and grow in those areas. So there's nothing like perfection. We're just growing. Kali Gumshus, I always enjoy chatting to you. We haven't had the, um, the Zoom drinks with the, with, the, with the team, with the rest of the other Fortune sisters. That should that be organized nice. very soon. That was nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but thank you so much for the time. You're welcome. Really much appreciated. It was good to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durumsomi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durumsomi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.